Some other birds are taught to fly. The birds' Christmas carol. Before the earliest Ruggles could wake and toot his five-cent tin horn, Mrs. Ruggles was up and stirring about the house, for it was a gala day in the family. Gala day, I should think so. Were not her nine children invited to a dinner party at the great house, and weren't they going to sit down free and equal with the mightiest in the land? She had been preparing for this grand occasion ever since the receipt of Carol Bird's invitation, which, by the way, had been speedily enshrined in an old photograph frame and hung under the looking glass in the most prominent place in the kitchen, where it stared the occasional visitor directly in the eye and made him livid with envy. Bird's Nest, December 17, 1880. Dear Mrs. Ruggles, I'm going to have a dinner party on Christmas Day and would like to have all your children come. I want them every one, please, from Sarah Maud to Baby Larry. Mother says dinner will be at half past five and the Christmas tree at seven, so you may expect them home at nine o'clock. Wishing you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I am yours truly, Carol Bird. Breakfast was on the table promptly at seven o'clock, and there was very little of it, too, for it was an excellent day for short rations, though Mrs. Ruggles heaved a sigh as she reflected that the boys with their India rubber stomachs would be just as hungry the day after the dinner party as if they had never had any at all. As soon as the scanty meal was over, she announced the plan of the campaign. Now, Susan, you and Kitty, wash up the dishes, and Peter, can't you spread up the beds so it'll can get to cutting out Larry's new suit? I ain't satisfied with his clothes, and I thought in the night of a way to make him a dress out of my old red plaid shawl, kind of scotch style, you know, with the fringe at the bottom. Ellie, you go find the comb and take the snarls out of the fringe. That's a lady. You little ones, clear out from underfoot. Clem, you and Con hop into bed with Larry while I wash your underflannins. To want to take long to dry em. Yes, so no, it's bothersome, but you can't go into society thought taking some trouble, and anyhow, I couldn't get around to them last night. Sarah Maud, I think would be perfectly handsome if you ripped them brass buttons off your uncle's policeman's coat and sewed them in a row up the front of your green skirt. Susan, you must iron out yours and Kitty's aprons. And there, I come mighty near forgetting Peoria's stockings. I counted the whole lot last night when I was washing of them, and there ain't but nineteen. Anyhow, you're fixin' and no nine pairs made snowhow, and I ain't got to have my children wear old stockings to a dinner company, fetched up as I was. Illy, can't you run out and ask Miss Cooler? to lend me a pair of stockings for Peori and tell her if she will, Peori will give her Jim half her candy when she gets home. Won't you, Peori? Peoria was young and greedy and 
thought the remedy so out of all proportion to the disease that she set up a deafening howl at the projected market, a house so rebellious and so entirely out of season that her mother started in her direction with hashing eye and uplifting hand, but she left it fall suddenly saying, No, I I ain't licking you on Christmas Day, if you drive me crazy. But speak up smart now, and say whether you'd rather give Jim Coolin half your candy, or go, go bare-legged to the party. The matter being put so plainly, Peoria collected her faculties, dried her tears, and chose the lesser evil. Clem, having hastened the decision by an affectionate wink that meant he'd go halves with her on his candy. That's a lady, cried her mother. Now you young ones that ain't doing nothing, play all you want to before noontime. For after you get through eating at twelve o'clock, me and Sarah Maud's going to give you such a washing and combing and dressing as you never had before and never will again likely. And then I am going to set you down, give you two solid hours training and manners. And twon't be no fooling neither. All we've got to do's go eat, grumbled Peter. Well, that's enough, responded his mother. There's more'n one way of eating, let me tell you, and you've got a heap to learn about it, Peter Ruggles. I wish you children could see the way I was fetched up to eat. I never took a meal of vittles in the kitchen before I married Ruggles, but you can't keep up that style with nine young ones, and your pa always off to see. Big Ruggles worked so well, and the little Ruggleses kept from underfoot so successfully that by one o'clock, nine complete toilets were laid out in solemn grandeur on the beds. I say complete, but I do not know whether they would be called so in the best society. The law of compensation had been well applied. He that had necktie had no cuffs. She that had sash had no handkerchief and vice versa. But they all had shoes and a certain amount of clothing, such as it was, the outside lay in every case quite above criticism. Now, Sarah Maud, said Mrs. Ruggles, her face shining with excitement, everything's read up and we can begin. I got a boiler and a kettle and a pot of hot water. Peter, you go into the back room and I'll take Susan, Kitty, Peoria and Cornelius and Sarah Maud. You take Clem and Illy and Larry one at a time. Rub them and rinse them or to any rate get as far as you can with them and then I'll finish them off while you do yourself. Sarah Maud couldn't have scrubbed with any more decision and force if she had been doing floors and the little Ruggleses bore it bravely. Not from natural heroism but for the joke before them. Not being satisfied, however, with the tone of their complexions, and feeling that the number of freckles to the square inch was too many to be tolerated in the high social circles, she wound up operations by applying a little Bristol brick from the knife board, which served as the proverbial last straw, from under which the little Ruggleses issued rather red and raw and out of temper. When the clock struck four, they were all clothed, and most of them in their right minds, ready for those last touches that always take the most time. Kitty's red hair was curled in thirty-four ringlets, Sarah Maud's was braided in one pigtail, and 
Susan's and Ely's, and two braids apiece. While Peoria's resisted all advances in the shape of hair oils and stuck out straight on all sides like that of the circusian girl of the circus, so Clem said, and he was sent into the bedroom for it too, for was he dragged out forgivingly by Peoria herself five minutes later. Then exciting moment came, linen collars for some and neckties and bows for others. A magnificent green glass breastpin was sewed into Peter's purple necktie, and Eureka, the Ruggleses, were dressed, and Solomon in all his glory was never arrayed like one of these. A row of seats was then formed directly through the middle of the kitchen. Of course, these were not quite chairs enough for ten, since the family had rarely wanted to sit down all at once, somebody always being out or in bed or otherwise engaged. But the wood box and the coal hod finished out the line nicely, and nobody thought grumbling. The children took their places according to age, Sarah Maud at the head and Larry on the coal hod, and Mrs. Ruggles seated herself in front, surveying them proudly as she wiped the sweat of honest toil from her brow. Well, she exclaimed, if I do say so, as shouldn't, I never see a cleaner, more stylish mess of children in my life. I do wish Ruggles could look at ye for a minute. Larry Ruggles, how many times have I got to tell you not to keep pulling at your sash? Haven't I told you if it comes untied, your waist and skirt'll part company in the middle, and then where'll year be? Now look me in the eye, all of you. I've often told you what it kind of a family the MacGrills was. I've got reason to be proud. Your uncle is on the police force of New York City. You can take up the paper most any day and see his name printed right out. James MacGrill. And I can't have my children fetched up common like some folks when they go out. They've got to have clothes and learn to act decent. Now I want to see how you're going to behave when you get there tonight. It ain't so awful easy as you think it is. Let's start in at the beginning and act out the whole business. Pow into the bedroom there, every last one of you, and show me how you're going to go into the parlor. This'll be the parlor and I'll be Miss Bird. The youngsters hustled into the next room in high glee, and Miss Ruggies drew herself up in the chair with an infinitely haughty and purpose-proud expression that much better suited a descendant of the McGrills than modest Mrs. Bird. The bedroom was small, and there presently ensued such a clatter that you would have thought a herd of wild cattle had broken loose. The door opened, and they straggled in, all the younger ones giggling, with Sarah Maud at the head looking as if she had been caught in the act of stealing sheep, while Larry, being last in line, seemed to think the door a sort of gate of heaven, which would be shut in his face if he didn't get there in time. Accordingly, he struggled ahead of his elders and disgraced himself by tumbling in head foremost. Mrs. Ruggles looked severe. There, I knew you'd do it in some such way. Now go in there and try it over again, every last one of you. And if Larry can't come in on two legs, he can stay to her home, do you hear? 
the matter began to assume a graver aspect. The little Rugglesses stopped giggling and backed into the bedroom, issuing presently with lockstep Indian fowl, a scared and hunted expression on every countenance. No, 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 cried Mrs. Ruggles in despair. That's worse yet. You look for all the world like a gang of prisoners. There ain't no style to that. Spread out more, can't you? And act kind of careless like. Nobody's going to kill you. That ain't what a dinner party is. The third time brought deserved success, and the pupils took their seats in a row. Now you know, said Mrs. Ruggles impressively, there ain't enough decent hats to go round. And if there was, I don't know I'd let you wear em, for the boys would never think to take em off when they got inside, for they never do. But anyhow, there ain't enough good ones. Now let look me in the eye. You're only going just around the corner. You needn't wear no hats, none of you. And when you get to into the parlor, and they shouldn't take notice, oh, your heads and ask you to lay off your hats. Sarah Maud must speak up and say, was such a pleasant evening and such a short walk that you left your hats to home. Now, can you remember? <coughs> All the little Rugglesses shouted, Yes, marm, in chorus. What have you got to do with it? demanded their mother. Did I tell you to say it? Weren't to talking to Sarah Maud? The little Ruggles hung their diminished heads. Yes, marm, they piped more discreetly. Now we won't leave nothing to chance. Get up, all of you, and try it. Speak up, Sarah Maud. Sarah Maud's tongue clove to the roof of her mouth. Quick, Ma thought it was such a pleasant hat that we'd, we'd better leave our short walk to home, besides Sarah Maud in an agony of mental effort. This was too much for the boys. An earthquake of suppressed giggles swept all along the line. Oh, whatever shall I do with yer? moaned the unhappy mother. I suppose I've got to learn it too, yer. Which she did, word for word, until Sarah Maud thought she could stand on her head and say it backwards. Now, Cornelius, what are you going to say to make yourself good company? Do? Me? Don't know, said Cornelius, turning pale with unexpected responsibility. Well, you ain't going to sit there like a bump on a log, thought saying a word to pay for your vittles, are you? Ask Miss Bird how she's feeling this evening, or if Mr. Bird's having a busy season, or how this kind of weather agrees with him, or something like that. Now we'll make believe we've got to the dinner. That won't be so hard, because you'll have something to do. It's awful bothersome to stand round and act stylish. If they have napkins, Sarah Maud, down to Peora may put him in their laps, and the rest of ye can tuck him in your necks. Don't eat with your fingers. Don't grab no vittles off one another's plates. Don't reach out for nothing, but wait till you're asked, and if you never get asked, don't get up and grab it. Don't spill nothing on the tablecloth, or likes not Miss Spurtle send you away from the table. And I hope she will if you do. Susan, keep your handkerchief in your lap where Peoria can borrow it if she needs it, and I hope she'll know when she does need it, though I don't expect it. Now we'll try a few things to see how they'll go. Mr. Clement, do you eat cranberry sauce? Bet your life, cried Clem, who in the excitement of the moment had not taken in the idea 
exactly and had mistaken this for an ordinary bosom of the family question. Clement Macgrill Ruggies, do you mean to tell me that you'd say that to a dinner party? I'll give ye one more chance, Mr. Clement. Will you take some of the cranberry? Yes, Marm. Thank you kindly, if you happen to have any handy. Very good indeed, but they won't give you two tries tonight. Just remember that. Miss Peora, do you speak for white or dark meat? I ain't particular as to collar anything that nobody else wants. Will suit me, answered Peoli with her best air. First rate, nobody could speak more genteel than that. Miss Kitty, will you have hard or soft sauce with your pudding? Hard or soft? Oh, a little of both, if you please. And I'm much obliged, said Kitty, bowing with decided ease and grace, at which all the other Ruggleses pointed the finger of shame at her, and Peter grunted expressively. That there meaning might not be mistaken. You just stop your grunting, Peter Ruggles. That weren't greedy. That was all right. I wish I could get to it into your heads that it ain't so much what you say as the way you say it. And don't keep staring cross-eyed at your necktie pin, or I'll take it out o' you and sew it on to Clem or Cornelius. Sarah Maud will keep her eye on it, and if it turns broken side out, she'll tell you. I shouldn't think you'd ever seen nor worn no jewelry in your life. Ely, you and Larry's too little to training, so you just look at the rest and do as they do, and the Lord have mercy on you and help you to act decent. Now, is there anything more you'd like to practice? If you tell me one more thing, I can't set up and eat, said Peter gloomily. I'm so crammed full of manners now, I'm ready to burst. Thought no dinner at all. Me too, chimed in Cornelius. Well, I'm sorry for you both, rejoined Mrs. Ruggles sarcastically. If the amount of manners on hand now troubles ye, you, you're dreadful easily hurt. Now, Sarah Maud, after dinner, about once and so often, you must get up and say, I guess we better be going. And if they say, oh no, steady while longer, you you can set, but if they don't say nothing, you've got to go up and go. Hey, you got that into your head? And once and so often? Could any words in the language be fraught with more terrible and wearing uncertainty? Well, answered Sarah Maud mournfully, it seems as if this whole dinner party set right square on top. Oh, me. Maybe I could manage my own manners, but to manage nine manners is, is worse than staying at to home. Oh, don't fret, said her mother good-naturedly. Now that the lesson was over, I guess you'll get along. Twould mind if folks would only say, Oh, children will be children, but they won't. They'll say to fetch them children up. It's quarter past five, and you can go now. Remember about the hats. Don't all talk to once. Susan, lend your handkerchief to Priori. Peter, don't keep screwing your scarf pin. Cornelius, hold your head up straight. Sarah Ma, don't take your eyes off o' Larry and Larry. You keep hold to o' Sarah Maud and do just as she says. And whatever you do, all of you, never forget for one second that your mother was a Matt Grill. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acre Soft Story Classic. Thank you.